Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So hello there and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending of course on which platform you choose to follow us on. And guys, we are only days away from the final leg before the F1 season gets underway. It is the Bahrain F1 test and we've got such a lot of news to cover since our last episode. There's quite a lot of a lot of things that have been going on in the F1 world and we're going to make sure that we can cover that as best as we can and add our own little discussion and add our own little thoughts to that as well. But in the meantime, let's get down to business and introduce our guests for this show. As always, my name is Adam Burns, the host of this show, and joining me, my two colleagues, part of the DNF1 family as well, Lee Wannington and Courtney Pine, joining us on the panel once again. I'm going to start with you, Courtney. First of all, uh, thanks for coming on once again, and uh, how are you doing? Yeah, doing well, mate. Uh, can't complain. Uh, couldn't put it any better myself, the way you uh, discussed how a lot has gone on since we've been away. It feels like it's been forever, but um, yeah, fully, fully excited. Well, the coming days, it's, it's mad to think that we're only just under three weeks away from the new season. It's really flown by since Abu Dhabi. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, it's, it's it's not even that long, is it? It's about two weeks away because, of course, we'll be going to Bahrain for the test uh, this weekend for the, you know, the official F1 test last time out. F1 changed the name a few times, but I think they got it down to a pre-season run or something like that. So, um yeah, well, there's going to be no discrepancy over the names this time. But as you said, Courtney, you know, we've got this testing this weekend and then we've got the first race of the season. So in a way, it's kind of like an extended free practice session over the course of the next few days uh, for the Formula One teams to finally put their cars through their final paces and get themselves ready for what should hopefully be a very, very memorable season, albeit for the right reasons. And joining us as always on this show, in addition to Courtney Pine, is my other guest, Lee Wallington. Lee, Thanks for coming on the show once again, and uh, how are you doing this week? Oh, well, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. It's, uh, as, as Courtney said, it has been a while. It's been the three of us, so 
we're back. The team are reunited. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to see. It's been a while and, uh, you know, it doesn't seem that long if you've been following this podcast on a regular basis. But, uh, yeah, uh, everyone's so busy at the moment. There's so much going on in the world, good or bad, and uh, obviously a lot of bad at the moment. But we're going to try and bring a little bit of light into an otherwise very dark world with our discussion analysis on the latest talking points in Formula One. And no better place to start than the huge news of Nikita Mazepin being having his contract terminated with the Haas team following Haas's official announcement that they were going to terminate their partnership with Ural Kali. And Haas did that in a very short 53-word, I believe it was, uh, uh, social media publication, which said the following. Uh, Haas F1 team has elected to terminate with immediate effect the title partnership of Ural Kali and the driver contract of Nikita Mazepin. As with the rest of the Formula 1 community, the team is shocked and saddened by the invasion of Ukraine and wishes for a swift and peaceful end to the conflicts. Now that pretty much makes it very, very clear and very, very simple what Haas's direction is going forward. I know there was a lot of back and forth between the FIA over whether or not they were going to ban Russian drivers from competing in motorsport. They elected to not do that. However, there have been some contradictions owing to a few other countries, most notably the UK, um, laying down their own guidelines on what they were going to go do going forward, which would have included banning Russian drivers, which would have made it practically impossible for Nikita Mazepin to compete at the British Grand Prix later this year. That being said, Haas, in fairness to them, have probably taken the only sensible course of action that they could have done in this situation and one that we kind of all expected. I think before we discuss it, we should probably point out and stress that this course of action is nothing to do with the fact that Nikita Mazepin is Russian. I think a lot of people probably might come to that misconception and think that this is just an attack on a guy who just happens to be from a certain country, but this is nothing of the sort uh, for that at all. This is strictly about the situation that's going on in Ukraine and, of course, the involvement of Ural Kali or their connections to uh, the Russian government and, by extension, Vladimir Putin and the ties that it has with Nikita Mazepin, who we should also mention was heavily backed financially by this sponsor. And, of course, if the sponsor are not going to be funding money into the team because of what's gone on, then there's literally not much of a case for Nikita Mazepin to stay on as a driver. So, with all that being said, Courtney... I know you've had a lot to say on this topic mm. over the last few weeks. What are your thoughts now that we have the official confirmation that Ural Kali and, by extension, Nikita Mazepin have now been terminated from their time with the Haas team? Oh, it's a little bit ironic, given now, you know, the main reason why he was in Formula One in the first place, which was, as you said, indirect money from the Russian government, is the reason why. He's been told he's not allowed to um, compete anymore. I think Nikita Mazepin's presence in F1 has always been contentious, and that's been one of the main reasons why. Um, I don't like to see, you know, I wouldn't like to see individuals be, you know, isolated just because of their nationality. And I think that's why you're right to stress that this isn't just because of his nationality. Um, you know, we've already said we're not going to code too deep into the politics just a personal opinion of mine uh, I don't only just feel sorry for the Ukrainian people I actually feel sorry for the innocent Russian people that are getting caught up in this whole situation but I just think you know we don't. I don't want to go down the road and go down the anti-Russian thing so I think it's great that you've mentioned that this is down to the connections between 
um, the sponsors and the Russian government, and this has nothing to do with Mazepin's nationality alone. Yeah, that's a really important point that you've made, Corny, that, you know, it's very easy to stigmatise Russian people as a collective owing to the actions of the elite minority, in this case, uh, the Russian oligarchs, it gets mentioned a lot, and by extension, the government and Vladimir Putin. And, and we should stress that, like, like Nikita Mazepin, a lot of people obviously can sympathise with him in, in this scenario because Formula One is not necessarily a sport where... Um, even though you do represent your country to a degree, it's not your country that has got you into this sport. Um, you know, you on you are driving for yourself. You are driving for your team and your country. As you know, you know someone that represents part of your identity. Of course, you're going to race for them, but you're not. It's not the same that a country is not involved in the same way with a driver as they would be with, um, you know, as they have been in the Winter Olympics, where those teams are put together by those countries and they are a, f- a reflection of that country as a whole. So obviously the two and two go hand in hand together. It's completely different in Formula One. It's a very individual sport in that regard. So as I said, it, as you mentioned as well, Courtney, it's not a reflection on the Russian people. You know, it's so, so hard to really put forward an opinion on this um, and avoid a situation where you can potentially stigmatise a certain group of people, which obviously is not what's going on here. Um, but at the same time, it, you can't ignore what's going on in Ukraine and how horrible that is for the people there and all the people around the world that have been affected by this one way or the other. When it comes to Nikita Mazepin, though, um, he obviously you know, reacted to this and he wasn't happy about what happened. He felt that the efforts that he was putting towards trying to move, not necessarily move past this, but move on um, in, in collaboration with the Haas team and obviously what had been set down by the FIA was by and large ignored. Um, it, it didn't come across overly sincere, but I think in a way you can sometimes give him the benefit of the doubt of the emotions he must be feeling. But at, at the forefront of it, it's nothing compared to the difficulties and the problems that are being faced by so many people in that area. I think we should make that perfectly clear. Um, all that being said, it wasn't exactly a decision that Haas would have wanted to make. But in fairness to them, it's not like Nikita Mazepin gave them a myriad of reasons to try and justify keeping with him, keeping him in the team. I mean, Lee, for example... I guess you probably agree with this. It's not like Nikita Mazepin was setting crazy fast times, was absolutely uh, destroying Mick Schumacher and putting himself in a position where in a few years' time he could be competing in a championship-winning car. Oh, yeah. I mean, if Nikita come into Haas last year and been dominating the rear of the, I'll say, the back of the grid because, you, you, you know, we're going to dominate the, the race in that Haas. But if he, uh, if you compare it to, like, the, the rookies when they've come in of when Lewis Hamilton when he joined or Max Verstappen when he joined and go, wow, you can see that that talent with Jules Bianchi, the, the obviously the late deceased uh, Jules Bianchi, you back of the grid and you go, wow, that's you can see that talent in that car that Nikita hasn't brought that to the to the sport. He brought memes galore with Mazza Spin and probably that's only one comes to mind, but I'm sure there's more than just Mazza Spin. Um so yeah, unfortunately he didn't have the the driver caliber to be there. Um, but I, I do want to add that based on our, one of our previous episodes, the predictions, the sport, the season hasn't even started yet. And one of my predictions is already wrong. So it's <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. a good start. <laughs> that's uh, Yeah, that is not a good start at all for you, Lee, but I'll, I'll tell you what, um, based on that prediction, and I think for the benefit of our listeners and viewers that won't remember what that is, I think 
you might want to remind us of what that was. I will oh, give yeah. you the opportunity to uh, chuck in a new one in replacement of that that we'll come back to when we eventually react to these predictions at the end of the season. Uh, well, just to for the, the the listeners is my prediction was that Mazepin Senior will be buying a major majority stake in the Haas team um, to obviously secure Nikita seat going forward. That will no longer be the case because Ukraine, um obviously being um, terminated as a contract and Nikita going, they're not going to do any deal with Mazepin Senior in regarding ownership of that team. That was my prediction. That's now wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. it's yeah. okay, Lee. It's okay, mate. We're there. We're here for you. We're here for you, mate. Well, I mean, in light of that, we could probably replace that with something else and say that by the end of the season, Andretti may have a deal in place to either buy into a Formula One team for the future, probably twenty twenty four, or bring their own team in. How about that? Would that be a sufficient replacement? Yeah, okay, I'll go with that one. Thank you. Okay. We'll, we'll, let you, we'll let you claim that one. Um, but as long as I get the assist, if it comes true, and I'll remind you of that at the end of the season, okay. if the news comes true. Um, but yeah, no, it's a very, very good point. And, you know, with someone like Nikita Mazepin, it's not like he wasn't, a, you know, he was a bad driver, but he certainly was one that even before he'd gone into a Formula One seat, there was controversy surrounding his attitude, you know, some of the actions that he'd done off track, which were not very pleasant at all. And... You know, and that's putting it lightly and you know the performance was considering the car that he was in you could give him uh, almost a bit of a buy with the expectation that it would be significantly better next season but you know at the same time you're kind of lending yourself to a situation where even without all of this going on your seat is at risk and it, it's no secret that Mazepin was heavily backed by Ural Kali the you know the company with huge ties to Russia they ran the Russian livery on the car Exactly. That was never going to stay on the car after what had been going on. So I can totally understand that situation. And, you know, when you haven't got the money back in you, you're not going to be able to keep that drive. It doesn't matter if you're Lewis Hamilton or if you're, in this case, Nikita Mazepin. You know, if you haven't got that back in to some degree, although in Lewis's case, it's, you know, he doesn't need that anymore. He has his own, he brings his own back in um, on his credentials. Then obviously you're not, you're going to find yourself without a seat in Formula One. Um but moving on from that to where Huss find themselves now um, is a little bit of a perilous situation because they're two weeks away from the first race of the season. I've obviously put a lot of time and effort and resource into this new car and now they're without one of their two drivers. They kind of find themselves in a situation where they have to put someone into that car. Now, from what we understand, Pietro Fittipaldi, the third driver or the reserve driver at Huss, will be in that car over the course of the weekend alongside Mick Schumacher. And this is from the word of Grunfersteiner and Gene Haas. So they have that short-term fix. That seems to be okay for Haas considering what they need to do. And I think as far as the test is concerned, I think it's probably not the worst idea. Pietro is going to be there anyway um, as part of the junior formula uh, series that he's going to be competing in uh, this season or so at the moment we are led to believe. But now it does create a problem for Haas where they need to find the right driver to sort of step in what I want to do, I want to ask you both who you think will Huss be looking to to try and put in that seat because Huss aren't exactly in a position right now where they need to worry about putting someone in that seat for the first race of the season. 
If I was a betting man, I would probably expect Pietro Fittipaldi to be in that seat for the first couple of races. Once we get to the first European race of the season, which I believe is uh, Imola, unless I'm mistaken. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, then they will need to look at a more long-term solution. So I think, I mean, we could yeah, they could find a more long-term solution early on, but I don't think there's a rush to do that. So with all that being said, guys, I'm going to put the floor for you to you. Mm-hmm. If you were good for Steiner and the decision was yours, or Gene Huss, whoever makes the decision on this, in your opinion, which driver would you like to put into that car uh, that is realistically available? And Courtney, you seem to be quite eager, so I'm going to let you go first on this one. Nicole Hulkenbach. Ah, right. This interesting choice. Um, Why would you want Nico? Why would you think Nico will be coming back into that Huss? Right, so for the football fans out there, they'll get the reference. For me, Nicole Hulkenberg is the Sam Allardyce of Formula One. He's always there to save a team in peril and give them some, some um, stability. And Hass are clearly a team that are in crisis at the moment. So they need Nico Hulkenberg to sort of be like the, the oldest state, statesman German for Mick Schumacher, build some unity at the team, steady the ship. And if they get some, uh, some points in this unpredictable season, they'll quickly get some sponsorship. So for me, I would go for Nico Hulkenberg. I mean, it's a decent shout, and I'm sure it's a driver that a lot of people would like to see back in Formula 1. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg has found himself to be quite a bit of a super sub. He'd uh, made a few appearances for uh, Racing Point, as it was the last couple of seasons. He's the reserve driver at the Aston Martin team, so some bridges would probably have to be burned uh, to get Nico into that second Haas seat. Not really sure how much financial backing he can bring to a team like Huss, although there might be some interest from Germany, especially with having an all-German lineup, which is, I think, what they wanted originally um, when they brought Mick I, Schumacher on. I believe Nico has some personal sponsorship himself. Obviously, nothing on the Ucurly scale, but he does have some sponsorship. Well, I mean, that depends if Haas actually need it. I mean, whilst yeah. we're on this subject, I want to put this to you guys as well, because I was listening to... Um, a different podcast the other day and they were talking about this Haas situation and they almost felt that Haas has been incredibly unlucky when it comes to their sponsors. I mean, we think back to Rich Energy a few years ago and obviously how that derailed and how crazy that was. Um, And then obviously this business with Ural Kali. But quite frankly, I don't feel sorry for them in that regard. I feel sorry for the personnel, like people like Gunther Steiner and the team and the drivers, everyone associated with the inner workings of the team that have to deal with this, and it's not their decision to bring these people in. I'm kind of laying the blame more at Gene Huss because Gene is a, you know, he's a very, very wealthy man. You know, I believe he's a billionaire of some sort. I might be wrong, but he can certainly bankroll a Formula One team of of this stature on his own. He doesn't need the extra income to you know finance this formula one team so for me and um, american fans or fans of the indie series or people that know more about Huss than i do will probably be able to back me up on this but for me i don't understand how people can take the approach where they can feel sorry for Huss at that level when gene Huss doesn't need to rely on that level of income if he really wanted this team to go as far as it possibly can he has to bankroll it um, I think he may have to do that this season now, following what's going on. But I don't think they're going to be in a position where if they can bring the money in, great. I just don't think money is going to be the primary source or primary criteria 
for finding a suitable replacement for Nikita Mazepin. So in a way, Courtney, that may open the door to someone like Nico Hulkenberg. But as I said, I've heard that a few times and I just think, well, you know, if it wasn't for Gene Huss not wanting to spend a bit more on financing this team, he wouldn't need to have to worry about getting sponsors like Rich Energy or Urukali, which has created a lot more controversy than probably it's worth in terms of money. So food for thought there. Let us know what you think about that, guys, if you agree with me or not on that one. But uh, yeah, I feel more sorry for the personnel and the team that have to deal with this on a daily basis and have no say in it whatsoever. Um, but Lee, coming back to you on this one, um, who would you lo- who would you like to see in the second half seat alongside Mick Schumacher? Who do you think it will be? Well, firstly, I would, my suggestion was going to be Nico Hulkenberg. But I'm gonna. Sorry, Mike. Nabbed it. Add a add a, a different um, <laughs> person in, into the mix, just to obviously so we can have a conversation. I do obviously want to rule out Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean. They've both made it very clear they don't want to return to Formula One. So that that that's it. They're they're not even a look. Um, apart from maybe well, it's not going to happen, but. Would love a, a Kimi Raikkonen to come out of retirement for one more oh, season. Oh, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rule that. Uh, I, um, I think he's got duties as a team principal of a motorcycle team in uh, Finland, unless I'm mistaken. I'm sure I saw probably. something like that on his social media yeah. where he's took that on. So I think he's going to be a bit busy. Yeah, I don't expect him to do it, although that would be nice. But my actual suggestion would be uh, Giovinazzi um, coming alongside uh, Mick Schumacher. Obviously, the Ferrari links there being with the engine supplier and being an Italian driver. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a decent uh, second option if if it's not Nico Hulkenberg. Isn't he the reserve Alfa Romeo this season? Because I know they've got Robert Kubica, Pro, uh, but I uh, believe Gio, I read that he was the reserve or development driver there. Probably involved somewhere. Yeah, so, I mean, that might not necessarily be a difficult one to do. I mean, if, if I was a team principal, if I was going for Steiner and I, it was my decision... I mean, first of all, I'd probably go for Oscar Piastri if I wasn't yeah, worried. Yeah, you know, That would be the guy that I would want to yeah. get. But the problem is, is that he's contracted with Alpine. I can't see Alpine letting him go because if they let him go, I can't see why Haas would want to, you know, let him, you know, stick him to a one-year deal. I think they'd want him for a few years. So that wouldn't really work for Alpine unless Oscar was prepared to, as I said, burn down the bridges to get into a Formula 1 car. But I just can't see Haas being the team that... Um, Oscar Piastri would risk ruining that fall. Although it's a really hard one. I mean, another, another name has come to mind. Actually, a bit random, but I, he's, I don't know if he's still in the Ferrari Academy. Callum Eilert. Um, I think Callum Eilert. Yeah, I think he's doing GT racing. Um, someone in the comments that knows more than I will on Callum's future at the moment would have to let me know. I, I heard multiple reports about different things. So I think it's GT racing that he's involved in. I'm not quite sure of the series, but uh, it is another name that's worth a shout. I think, unfortunately, now, because of the timing of everything, when Callum Myler looked like he was going to be in Formula 1 last season, obviously Nikita Mazepin took that away from him. I'm not sure there's a really a route back for Callum. Mm. I think he's in an unfortunate position where the, you know... The conveyor belt of Formula One cars and the queue for or drivers in this case and the queue for seats is growing all the time. So I feel like Callum's probably pushed, been pushed so far back that Formula One is probably not going to happen for him. Um, and, and with that Ferrari connection as well, I think Robert Schwartzman would probably find himself ahead of him now. But, you know, that said, 
I think Giovinazzi would be a very, very good shout. And bear in mind as well, even though I'd want Oscar Piastri in that car, if I could choose anybody without any ailments or any contracts to negotiate to bring them out of a team, I could bring in Oscar Piastri, I'd do it. But the problem is, is that as tantalizingly exciting as the F2 champion from last season against the F2 champion from the season before in the same team would be, the Mick Schumacher factor is quite um, a dominant one. And it's a big issue because Ferrari obviously have Haas in a, with a technical partnership, not necessarily as a B team, although you probably could class it as that. I don't think they would want to have a driver in there that could push Mick Schumacher so far that he can end up beating him. I think they would want a reasonable measuring stick or a yardstick to measure against Mick Schumacher to judge how good he really is. And for that reason, someone who's experienced as well, I think Giovinazzi ticks all the boxes. I would agree with you, Lee. I think if I wanted Oscar Piastri, I'd, I'd make sure to go get him. But I think it's going to be Giovinazzi that's the most likely candidate. And he's probably the one that doesn't require too much negotiation to get him into that car, especially with the ties he still has with Ferrari, from what we understand. So um, all good options. But uh, unless you guys have anything to add, I think it's probably going to be Giovinazzi. But for now, it'd probably be Fittipaldi in the first couple of races. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, nothing... <laughs> No other drivers to suggest here. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Um, but let us know in the comments, guys, who you'd want to see in that car, who you think is going to be uh, Nikita Mazaspin's replacement. I almost said Mazaspin as well there. Um, at Haas. <laughs> it's, it's on the slip of the tongue. My mind is completely like mush today and uh, got Mazaspin on the mind. But uh, I I'm sure we'll see Nikita at some point, not necessarily in Formula One, but back in motorsport one way or the other uh, in the future. So best of luck to him in what he decides to go on and do. Um, let's move on to uh, another piece of big news that we got um, while, well, after our testing episode from the Spanish test. And that was the news that Max Verstappen has agreed a new contract with the Red Bull team. A huge new contract. The world champion announcing on his social media in tandem with the Red Bull team that they plan to stay together at least until the 2028 season. A huge six-year deal, which, unless I'm mistaken, will take Max up until... He's 31. I mean, that that alone just makes me feel old. I mean, I'll be 31 this year. And Max Verstappen, oh, I mean, that's that's a scary thought. To think that Max has been in the sport, what is this going to be, his eighth season? Sounds about right. Yeah. 2015 started. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it will be his uh, eighth season. So, by the time that his contract finishes, he will have had as much experience in Formula 1 as Lewis Hamilton has had at this point in time. That's a scary thought. Um, not to mention the amount of money that people have been saying that he's going to be earning upwards of around £40 million a year, which they some people do believe is on par with what Lewis is currently earning right now at Mercedes. So, uh, yeah, what's your thoughts on that one, guys? Um, feeling depressed yet? Not really, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I'm not surprised, to be honest. I mean, well, the, way it's, the way it's looking, look, I, I have no doubts about some of the other guys on the grid, some of the younger guys, but at this stage, Max Verstappen is the guy to beat. You know, he he's going to be the next Schumacher, Hamilton, the guy who defines his generation. So, of course, you know, Red Bull are going to do everything they can to keep him. They, they're obviously aware that if Lewis retires at the end of this season, there could well be talk between Max and Mercedes. So, I think it was just very quick to get the deal done whilst they've got some positive momentum. Obviously, winning 
to drive a championship and actually coming fairly close to winning the constructors. I think Red Bull going through an interesting time, but they must they must have given Max the confidence that you know they're going to be there thereabouts in the coming years for him to um, give them multiple championships. But there must be some clauses in that contract. You know, there's a lot of talks about you know. Oh, you know, it's, it's for this many years. But we saw with Sebastian Vettel when he left Red Bull. You know, we do think he's going to go anywhere. And then, bam, you know, Red Bull had the average season in 2014 and he was gone. So, yeah, I think I'll, I'll take these contracts with a pinch of salt sometimes. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, and that kind of leads us into a nice segue for my next question on this, because this is a no-brainer that this is a brilliant, brilliant move for Red Bull to tie down mm-hmm. their number one asset, as you said, Courtney, arguably their biggest asset since Sebastian Vettel when he was winning world championships in the early 2010s. But is this a good move for Max to tie himself down to a really long-term deal? I mean, yes, of course, you can cash in on being the world champion and everything that comes with that. And even if he hadn't had won the world championship last season, I still think Red Bull would have done everything they can to tie Max Verstappen to an equally long and lucrative deal. But there is that asterisk over it that makes me wonder, you know, if he does have a release clause in his contract like what Vettel did and it was based on performances like what Vettel had, one, how far does that performance clause go? I don't imagine it will just say has to be better or on par with Mercedes, um, you know, because that would be a bit vague. But, um, you know, Mercedes may not necessarily be the benchmark this year. We might find that they get it horribly wrong with their car concept and they find themselves at the back of the field. So it's like, well, you know, we've got him tied down there. There's nothing he can do about that. But um, if you're Max Verstappen, as important as it is to secure a partnership with a team that's brought you through into Formula One and given you so much and now has culminated in a world championship and you want to extend that partnership, do you think this deal might be a bit too long for and might create potential for further problems down the line if it doesn't go as rosy as it did with Vettel for the first few years after his world title. Uh, Lee, what do you think? Uh, I do want to agree with your first sentiment of that it's brilliant for Red Bull, but I think it's such a big um, mistake for Max to commit himself to that, a team for that long through two rule changes. Because obviously you got the, we don't know the actual uh, pecking order of this season. But it's the 25, 26 is the expected engine change um, and potentially further changes on the car design then. And that's we don't even know what those rules are going to be and what the engine is going to be or who's going to be manufacturing those engines. And he's committed past that. So it's such a long down, um, being tied down to a team so long that I mean, Red Bull may be there now. We don't know because we obviously haven't started the season. But it may not be there in 25, 26, 27, 28. But he's still got another four years on his contract at that point. So there must be some form of clauses to get him out because it's such a long commitment to a team with no guarantee of giving him the, the car to, to fight for championships. Yeah, very much so. And I think it's important to emphasise how significant engine performance is going to be. I mean, you know, Honda have left the sport now, but they're obviously still going to be supporting Red Bull to some degree until Red Bull formally take over with the Red Bull powertrain unit, which you know, Porsche are going to be lending a very uh, handy helping hand up to the point where the engine regulations will change again in 2026. So as we said before, you know, we're not experts on this, but engine power is arguably the most significant factor. You you could argue to a degree with all due respect to Mercedes throughout the turbo hybrid era, the biggest component that has helped propel them to so much success 
unprecedented success has been the efficiency and power of their engine. And in addition to that, how good they are at getting on top of things when things get very difficult. So you want to find yourselves in a long-term commitment with a proven outfit, with experience in that. Even in situations where you may not be strong at the beginning, you will end up being at the forefront when you need it most. And Mercedes is the only team right now that's been able to do that over the last decade. I mean, you could have your arguments with Ferrari to a degree, but they've never put their car in a position where it can win a world championship on engine power and the car combined. Mercedes are the only outfit that have been able to achieve that over the last decade or so. Um, In Red Bull's case, they've always had a strong car. The engine has always been the decisive factor, one that until now they've not really had any control of. They've always had to work around it. So it is a huge risk for Max Verstappen to commit himself so long, assuming that, you know, he's going to need some pretty, pretty clever release clauses to get him out of a difficult situation if he does find himself in one. Um, That being said, though, you know, like many big partnerships over the years, whether it was uh, Hamilton at Mercedes, Schumacher at Ferrari, Vettel at Red Bull for the you know for some time. The long term commitment has always proved to be a successful one and a golden one at least, an unprecedented one in each of their own respective eras. And maybe we are starting to see the the beginning of the Verstappen era. And you know we'll be looking back on this in a few years' time and saying, you know what, that was an absolute stroke of genius. You know the benefit hindsight is twenty twenty and all that. Um, but I suppose it remains to be seen. Um, with that, I mean, as I said, the, the money side of it, I don't really think that's a relevant factor. It mm. could be that they wanted to get something done before any potential budget cap was introduced on driver salaries. I know we've heard over the years, uh, Franz Tost, I think it was, that mentioned that drivers are getting paid ridiculously too much and that they should be lucky to be driving in Formula One cars. Of course, a lot of that was centered around Lewis Hamilton when he was, you know, getting paid ridiculous sums of money. But again, these are guys that risk their lives. So, the sport so I'm not really sure if there is an amount of money that is considered too much considering what they do and um and Dr Helmut Marco you know as early as last year was saying that Lewis was getting paid too much and now Max is arguably going to be on the same sort of salary so we might want to ask to get his thoughts on this one or what he thinks about Max getting that kind of money it's a fruit loop <laughs> yeah I mean you he said is. it yeah I, I just think it needs to be said I think the geezer's an absolute fruit loop and I, I, I just I, I'm going to get a little rant out of the way. I just think there are some people at Red Bull that are just obsessed with Lewis Hamilton. I just think they need to, you know, they need to start, just, just just let go of this obsession. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Um. I, I, as I said, you know, we can talk about other sports, about certain people getting paid ridiculous sums of money for what they do. But when it comes to Formula One, Yes, £40 million a year is a lot of money. I'm not going to try, or $40 million, however much it is. I'm not going to deny and pretend that it's not. But at the same time, there is that, you know, risk of life element to it, which kind of makes you take a seat back and think, you know what? If a team like Red Bull, and bear in mind, Red Bull are going to be earning, was it over £150 million or a year through their sponsorship deals with the crypto firm that they've signed a new deal with and Oracle? over the next few years. So they're probably paying for Max Verstappen's contract on their own quite easily. So, you know, if you can afford it and the driver's worth it and someone like Verstappen probably is for a team like Red Bull, then by all means, just go for it. It kind of makes me think about uh, asking to pay a rise for my job, but uh, there we go. Probably not worth 40 million, but you never know. Anyway. One day, Adam, one day. Maybe one day, maybe one day. But uh, look, this... um, 
We'll segue that to one side and move on to the F1 Bahrain test preview if we can. Um, this is going to be quite an interesting test because in the first test, a lot of it was around reliability checks, making sure the cars were working accordingly as they were expected to. And by and large, seven of the 10 teams will probably come out, came out of that test looking pretty happy with what they'd done. A few of the others at the back will still have some catching up to do, but I think by and large, it could have been a lot, lot worse for them than they anticipated. But uh, we're going to this Bahrain test where we're expecting to see some changes on from the team, some changes to the cars, some big changes that we might see in the first race of the season, and perhaps a better indicator as to what the performance pecking order will be by the time we go racing at the Bahrain Grand Prix in two weeks' time. I want to start with the uh, the teams that had a very, very, very strong test, the likes of Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, and McLaren as well. Guys, what are we thinking? Are we expecting any big changes from these top four teams? Lee, what do you think? Who's going to be uh, making the big changes for this test? I fully expect Mercedes and Red Bull to turn up with a different car for this test compared to um, Barcelona. They're, they would have kept their true design close to the um to their chest do remind you of uh obviously yeah, 20 i think it was it was it 2020 or was it 2019 where mercedes had the first tests yeah a completely old old car and then they turned up their actual car at the second test yeah so, it was 2019 i believe it was because everyone was sort of purring over ferrari with a half a second deficit to everyone else and then mercedes turned up with a brand new car the deficit exactly didn't shrink and then we went to Australia and then Mercedes were dominating and Ferrari were fighting amongst themselves for fifth and sixth, wondering what was yeah. going on. So, uh, yeah, it, I mean, we've heard reports about Mercedes that it was like they were going to bring a B-spec version of their car, maybe not one as huge in terms of upgrades as what they brought in 2019, but certainly going to be a revised version of what they brought to testing. And I, I don't think that's much of a surprise as much as it was a few years ago because... A lot of these new regulation changes have taken its toll on these teams. A lot of them had to do so much work to the point where they did an incredible job to all get cars out running as efficiently as they did for that first shakedown run at Barcelona. And obviously the the livery launches, I think is probably the best way to call them more than actual car launches for most teams. Um, So a lot of emphasis has probably been put on, a lot of work has been put on trying to get these uh, real versions of these F1 cars in their... uh, B-spec, if you like, to get them ready for running at this test, which which would be nice because that way we can see a lot of differences. I think stuff we're going to see that's going to be visibly different on these cars. And um, it should give us a better indication as to who is currently running where at the moment um, by the time we go to the first race of the season. Um, Courtney, Lee's obviously mentioned the Mercedes team as a team that's likely to bring in some a lot of new parts and a lot of upgrades to this car um what do you think red bull are doing do you think red bull are going to do something very very similar because they found themselves in the same place as mercedes last season developing the car almost up until the very end of the season um so they're kind of in the same situation but what do you think oh 100 they will be this 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 is a team whose designer is adrian newey they're going to be showing all the tricks in this test, but I don't think that would be Red Bull's well. I think I think Ferrari will fit McLaren will fit most of the teams. I think it'll be seeing a lot of a lot more differences in this test. I think it's, it was so it was safe to say that the first test was um reliability based. I'm just like a second what you said about how well the teams did to, you know, whole new regulations, not only for the cars but for the engines themselves, how well 
those teams did to make their car so reliable at that point. But I think there's a couple of interesting things, you know, about this test. It's obviously, track temperature-wise, it's going to be a lot more representative of how the conditions are going to be for the majority of the races throughout the season. And I think, you know, going back to the reliability thing, it's going to be interesting to see that with these big changes being made to the car, there's going to be radical aerodynamic changes made to the car. And we all know that usually with, you know, trying to make the car as tight as possible comes um, the strain on the reliability. So it's going to be interesting to see how the upgrades that these teams make, make on their, uh, have on their reliability. So I think we're going to get some real indications of where the teams, not only performance wise, but reliability wise in this um, first proper test. Yeah, I think it's important to stress that, um, you know, it's going to be completely different conditions in terms of the climate. I think at Barcelona, it was usually around the mild 16 to 17 degrees ambient temperature. It's going to be in the 30s at Bahrain, and it's going to be much more representative, as you said, Courtney, of what we're going to see, not just uh, at the Bahrain Grand Prix the following weekend, but also for most of the season. And um, it, it kind of really adds to that you know all of those decisions that get made on the concepts of the car and how they're all going to work and obviously which team has designed the right concept to have a good car at some circuits and which team has designed a concept to have a good car at all of the circuits usually that's the one you want to go for um but it's quite interesting to see so many differences noticeable differences between pretty much all of the cars so um it doesn't look like we're going to see one car stand out and maybe you know we might get to a situation where one does and everyone tries to find ways to sort of um copy that and adapt it to their own car um we might see something like that in Bahrain we may see some noticeable changes that seem to point one team into another direction to look like another one we'll have to wait and see um I haven't heard anything personally on Ferrari yet I think Ferrari probably keeping their cards to their chest but I'd be very surprised if Ferrari uh, bring anything substantial that's a considerable difference to what they brought in the Spain test. It seemed as, as far as all the teams were concerned, they were the ones that probably walked away with the, uh, I suppose, the, the nicest results to their test. Mm. So they probably feel that they're in a much stronger position than perhaps some have said. But again, we don't know. I mean, Ferrari could bring a brand new car to this one and pull the rug from underneath us. Um, we'll have to see. But uh, what do you guys make of McLaren? Because this was the team that, probably had the least issues when it comes to the porpoising issue. Are we expecting them to change much on their car or uh, are they going to be driving around with a fairly similar one like we expect Ferrari to? Uh, I, I think they, they will bring some changes, but not as many compared to, I'm not going to say the big teams, McLaren are a big team, but the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, because I just I just think that, Red, um, that McLaren will be satisfied what they've done with the car so much and you know there is obviously you know the cliche of you know if it's not broke don't change it so I think they they will have their own obviously plans they'll have they'll have upgrades but I think that I don't think they'll be making many changes to the core concepts of the car because right now I think they're going to be in a position to hopefully challenge at the very front come the first race yeah, no, hopefully for their sake they will. Um, what do you think, Lee? Um, do you think McLaren are going to bring many wholesale changes? Because overall, the car looked pretty handy when it needed to. I mean, it wasn't blisteringly quick at the very end of the test session, but overall, it was definitely one of the teams that uh, a lot of people were sort of singing the praises of. I, I completely agree with Courtney. I think they'll be they'll have their own, obviously, update schedule and they'll bring updates according to their plan. But... Obviously, it's still to say, oh, which team has a better design? But as you said, McLaren have, didn't struggle as much with the purposing as other teams. 
other teams are looking at the McLaren about what can I copy to stabilize my car, obviously outside of active suspension, which you can't because that's illegal. But McLaren didn't have to such a big issue as some of the other cars that oh god, they would have hated to be in that car and how much they bounced down <laughs> the street. They didn't look comfortable whatsoever. When your bum's already on the, the bottom of the car anyway, and you're like, oh, the floor and your, your ass must take a pounding. <laughs> I don't mean that. <laughs> that sounds. I mean I was gonna segue that into Sus. um yeah <laughs> a little Well, you know, each to each to their own, you know. Um <laughs> I was going to segue that we into... We don't judge you on the DNA <laughs> yeah, no, podcast. Yeah. Everyone put their own on that. No, no, um, no, no, no. Yeah. we don't. It's uh, all path, all, all fun and games. Um, yeah, you know, we we heard a few drivers were talking about that. I think Charles Leclerc was complaining that he was starting to feel a bit ill and a lot of headaches when, um, you know, the Ferrari, as we saw a lot of the videos, the slow-mos of the Ferrari bouncing up and down quite a lot. And um, it is an issue. I suppose one piece of advice, Lee, if we can segue this into another topic, um, perhaps some of those teams need to consider losing some weight on their yeah. cars. And mm-hmm. um, for anyone who's wondering why I'm going with that route, um, that's because Huss, uh, not Huss, um, well, Huss don't even have a car at the moment, but Alfa Romeo and McLaren are two of the teams that are at the centre um, of defending the current regulations because we've seen a lot of teams complain that they're having a lot of difficulty getting their cars trimmed down to the minimum weight of 795 kilograms and uh, this is a very strange uh, very strange circumstance we find ourselves in because for years fans and drivers and teams have been complaining that the cars are getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and it doesn't seem like we're going to be getting any lighter. I mean, I can't see it in the turbo hybrid era that we're ever going to get back to a point where cars weigh as much as a toaster um, in Formula One. But uh, it's quite interesting, guys. I mean, what, what do you make of this? Because we've got arguably, well, Alfa May, we definitely know is the one team that has made the weight limit. McLaren is reported to be the other one. But then you've got the other eight teams. Red Bull have complained about this quite a lot. We've heard noises from Mercedes and Ferrari and some of the other teams as well that they're struggling to lose uh, weight off their cars. Um, I mean, it's getting silly now, isn't it? I mean, surely we shouldn't be in a position where just because two teams have got it spot on and the other eight haven't in terms of weight that we have to change the rules just to suit the majority. I mean, that can't be right. That's not what Formula One is about. No, exactly. I mean, I think like, one, one of the sort of most exciting elements of these um, regulation changes that we could see a surprise package come along. Now, obviously, if McLaren or Alfa Romeo in particular have got it right, why are you going to want to handicap and take that away from them? I, I, I personally don't think it's right. I'm sure the pair of you agree with that as well. At the end of the day, we should. F1 is all about encouraging innovation within the rules. McLaren and Alfa Romeo have done just that. So for me personally, I don't understand why they should get it taken away just for the sake of the tyranny of the majority. Yeah, I mean, what what do they say? 10 kilograms is worth up to 0.3 seconds of a lap, which, you know, is night and day in Formula 1. That is the difference between winning a race or winning a world championship or not. I mean, not quite literally three tenths of a second, but when it comes to stripping it down for qualifying, that is very, very, that's a lot of time. Like a better way of putting it. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on this? Because, um, as I said, it seems that the eight teams at the moment are really pushing strongly on this. And we may end up in a position where if this goes to a vote that, they only need the eight votes, which will come from those eight teams, which will change it, meaning that um, Mick Schumacher, well, not Mick Schumacher, sorry, um, the Alfa Romeo boys, Valtteri Bottas, is going to have to have a bit more than just his coffee every morning. He's probably going to have to have a nice little croissant with that as well. Yeah, I completely agree uh, with your sentiments. Of it's, it's just, 
it's unformula one-esque if not that's a word but i've just made that up it's unformula one-esque um and it's just anti-competitive i mean you set us um put out rules two teams get the rules right which as corny said this could be a competitive edge uh, admittedly probably more like mclaren than alfa romeo um depending on how the, how the last test went but yeah if mclaren get gets pole position and goes on the wins the first race because they have a lighter car that's where i say lighter car the minimum um weight and the other teams tough luck you haven't built your car um and say off innovate shed some weight you sort it out other teams can do it why can't you stop moaning about it and oh it's gonna cost money well tough you didn't design your car properly to begin with waste some money um it's yeah it's completely wrong that they, they can take away or effectively punish the two teams that have got it right it's, it's disgusting yeah very true um i mean if he does come to it where they the uh mclaren and alpha have to increase their weight by was it five kilograms i think they want to get the weight five down to kilos, 800 yeah so they may they could add a bit of extra ballast onto the car to try and improve the weight distribution. But as I said, they've designed the cars in such a way where they probably optimise them to a point where they can't afford to do that. So um, maybe maybe it'll be like that Sky Sports video that um, Johnny Herbert did with the uh, with Signs and Lando and McLaren, where they had to be, uh, carry a big bowl of milk while they were driving. You could get one of those and just stick it in, in the cockpit of the car and just let Lando carry a big bottle of milk. That should probably get the weight over, but. Um, yeah, I mean, any any other ingenious ideas, guys, you can think of to try and increase the weight of these cars or maybe the drivers could uh, pile on the pounds a little bit if it helps, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's oh, I mean, I think the only advice I have is for these team principals to stop bloody moaning. Jesus Christ, <laughs> they don't stop, particularly after last season. Have a break. Enjoy your lives a little bit. Stop moaning. Well, I mean... I was speaking of Sky Sports, because um, obviously Drive to Survive, that's going to be out on the 11th of March, which obviously is going to bring back, uh, I mean, and that's going to be very interesting, because that's going to bring back a lot of um, memories, good, some good and some bad of last season. I'm not season. watching it. Well, I, I'm wondering how they're going to be able to do a Drive to Survive series without the world champion in it, in theory, because Max Verstappen oh, yeah. obviously is announced before last year that he wasn't going to be involved in Drive to Survive like the other drivers are. Well, how are they going to do it with him when he's world champion? That's going to be a really weird one. I'm more interested to see how that's going to run forward, but I'm sure the clever editors at, at Netflix will find a way. Um, but then in addition to that, Sky Sports also did a program, I think that aired last night, we're obviously recording on the Monday, last night after the uh, Man United-Man City game, where they were going, you know, looking over the highlights of the championship battle between Hamilton and Verstappen. And look, I'm sure it made great viewing. I didn't really watch it because I thought, well, the social media reaction is going to be absolutely intense again. I mean, we had Nick Knowles making himself a household name in the Formula One community, although he's a huge F1 fan from what I hear because of, you know, he was very outspoken on it. And now I open up Twitter this morning, Trevor Sinclair, the former England and Manchester City footballer. Um, and of course, uh, West Ham player as well, Corny. I think you'll remember quite fondly oh, as well. Oh, great, great, great crosser. <laughs> But he was going on social media talking about it. And I thought, well, he's obviously watched the Sky Sports program last night about Lewis and Max last season. It's like, it gets to a point where for everyone's sanity and bigger things going on in the world right now, you just want to try and move forward. I think the point where Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes and Total will sit down and say, okay, look, last year was bad for whatever reason we, we know. We're happy to move forward. I think that's a cue for everybody else to just, okay, let's drop that one in the archives like we did in 89, like we did in 94, and 
you know, all the other controversial periods and we just move forward because that's what we have to keep doing. And Mercedes are better than anybody else at doing that. That gives license to everyone else, but nope, media outlet's going to pull everyone back in <laughs> for a nice, healthy dose of chaos and let the comments unfold the way that they do, as they have done everywhere on everyone's channel that's talked about this, ours or, you know, the race or a WTF1, the rest of it, everywhere you go. So, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> rile up the fans before the season starts yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. let's bring that passion back you know healthy or not oh god yeah you, I, I hope you're ready lads i hope you're ready <laughs> <laughs> are you ready for round two? Oh, look as, if ferrari are involved this season i will be absolutely loving it regardless of which way it goes down you know god, you're gonna throw it to photo I'll, t- I'll tell you what yeah if there's a three-way battle between mercedes red bull and the defosi I, I, I think I'm at hired. I think I'm, I think I'm at going <laughs> yeah. a sabbatical with his podcasting like clads. Honestly, it's, it's going to be mayhem. But like a famous Mika Hakkinen level sabbatical, which turns into a retirement, <laughs> which I'm still to this day sad about that we never got to see Mika return. I, you know, well, there you go. There's a name yeah, for the Put Mika back in. That be that would be nice. Go full circle that Mika becomes Mick Schumacher's teammate. It's kind of it's got a bit of a Star Wars kind of vibe <laughs> to it, where. Uh, yeah, like Luke gets told stories by Obi-Wan about his dad. You have Mika telling Mick stories about his dad, about how he used to race. And uh, yeah, that, w- that would be something. It really would. But um, on t- we've already gone off topic a little bit with the test. And I want to bring it back to... Um, we've talked about the teams obviously had a very, very good test. And obviously what we're expecting from them. I want to talk a little bit before we sign this off. Um, not necessarily about Alpha Tauri or Aston Martin. I think they're in good shape, and I think like the bigger teams are going to be continuing on with that in the next test. Um, I want to talk about Alpine, Alfa Romeo, and um, uh, Alpine, Alfa Romeo, and, and Haas. Sorry, forgot the forgot the third one was there. Um, I was thinking about Williams. Williams are in the Alfa and Aston Martin group, so they're fine. Uh, for those Williams who've... are doing great, actually. I think it's worth yeah. mentioning quickly how great Williams have done. I think they're a team to watch out in the midfield battle. Actually, I think they've. You know, I think there's been so much talk over George Russell leaving, when in fact, behind the scenes, it looks like they've put together quite a decent car. Yeah, no, it looks like they have so far. Um, but yeah, any Williams fans listening to this, don't worry, guys. We think you guys are in great shape, so we're going to put you in that middle group. But um, yeah, I want to talk about Alpine, Haas and Alfa Romeo, because for different reasons, they all had very difficult tests. I mean, Alpine were having so many problems. They had the DRS issue. They had they were running with high loads of fuel. They were running with hypotheticals that they were a lot higher up the field than they probably were. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um and then you've got Haas that had problems, etc. Not to mention what's gone on with Urukali and Nikita Mazepin. And then Alfa Romeo that hardly did any running at all because their car was just, it just didn't work properly. Um, those three teams have got some catching up to do. So, you know, of those three teams, is there any one of them that you are expecting to make a huge uh, step forward? And, you know, for the record, I don't believe that any of these teams are going to be that far off the rest of the field. I just think they've had a very hard time right now where it kind of, gives that false picture that they are a long way off when they're actually not but out of those which one are you expecting to be moving into a more respectable position uh i think the team that intrigues me the most is alpine i just feel the concept they've gone for is very raw i think they're it looks like they're prioritizing performance i said this in last episode it looks like they're um prioritizing performance over reliability i could be wrong but it just seems that the Fernando Alonso pressure could be kicking in again. I think it's no secret that Fernando Alonso come back to not just make up the numbers, but to be in a car to 
challenge for championships. And maybe, you know, Renault at the time promised him that to get him back. And we all know that, you know, Fernando Alonso's been very vocal when, you know, he hasn't been given the card that he feels that he deserves. So maybe that pressure from Fernando Alonso, along with some of the management issues that we've had at Alpine recently, could be showing because they've gone for a they've gone for a radical concept compared to the other teams. Yeah, they certainly have. I mean, they could potentially end up being quite the dark horse in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the Barcelona test didn't really give us much indication on where they really are, and uh, they did have a lot of you no, know, they did have a lot to say on why that was and what issues that they had. Um, you know, Fernando Alonso was still quite chipper despite all of that. So. Um, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Lee, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, L plan, L plan, net. Oh God, I've absolutely messed this one up. <laughs> I was thinking about what I was going to say in my head. Absolutely messed it up. I'm going to try again. <laughs> Not going to worry about this. You can tell we don't edit this podcast very well. I'm just going to leave it in there. Um, Lee, L plan nuevo, malo o bueno. Ooh. Ooh. Remembering my uh, secondary school Spanish, my teachers, <laughs> Miss Garrido, will be very impressed. Muy bien, muy bien. Um... <laughs> Uh, El plan um, nuevo. Well, it's not new because obviously it's still the original plan. But uh, El plan bueno. Um, I mean, it it reminiscent of the McLaren days where I, you saw the images of Fernando standing by the side of his Alpine. And it's like, oh, not McLaren again. Oh no, not Fernando standing beside the track. Where's his deck chair? That's all you need for another Fernando. <laughs> mean, um, no, but it's completely Alpine. Um, I think, as Courtney said, it's such a radical concept compared to the other cars. And I think they're completely chasing performance over reliability. Reliability, they can sort out. Um, but the speed is something, if your car isn't, or if your concept's not right to produce the performance, without a big, um, obviously, redesign, it's very hard to add it back if your chassis is completely naffing regarding the performance. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where they're targeting and it. I completely agree with Fernando Pressure getting in there. Bad man, not bad management, but the change in management with slight bit bad management if because obviously that does cause bad management. Um no, it's it's too early to say that L, L plan is not on track. Um but it's the team that I expect them to make a, a performance jump. The other two, maybe not so much. <laughs> Yeah, I hope for their sake that they do. I mean, for Haas and Alfa Romeo, I think it's just a case for them to just get the running in. They really need yeah. to make sure that they put the miles in. Um, fortunately for them, it seems that the Ferrari engine looks quick and reliable. So at least they don't have to worry about the power unit so much or the electronics. It's mostly about um, making sure that their car is in good nick for the season ahead. Um, and making sure they don't have any more problems that will cost them half a day to try and fix. I mean, one thing we should mention with Haas, I was having a look online whilst I was sort of doing my show notes for this episode, and uh, I came across an article from the German publication Amos where they were, I hope I pronounced that right, um, their journalist uh, Toby Grunier, uh, he mentioned that the, the cargo plane that was supposed to transport the Haas F1 cars and equipment to Bahrain had broken down in Istanbul, and uh, the freight, is still stuck at Doncaster. So they're not sure that everything will arrive in time for the first day of testing. And we saw the pictures earlier in the day that, uh, and yet last night that all the teams, well, most of the teams have already got all their equipment there already. So it is going to be very, very difficult, touch and go almost for Haas, to try and run through this test without any more interruptions. It's the last thing that they need right now. And um, 
I mean, I don't know what more there is to say. I mean, after all the, the, the money and effort and time that they've put into this car, uh, sacrificing an entire season to make it as good as it can be, this is the last thing that they needed. Yeah, it has to seem like a, a curse thing. I mean, it sounds like something from a comedy sketch, you know, having your loot ending up stranded in the middle of Doncaster, you know? So <laughs> it's just really, just yet another unfortunate tale for the Haas team. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, Lee, did you want to add anything to that before we sign off? Well, I think one of the things that it's apparently being talked about is if Haas don't make it for the Thursday, that they may get a um, extra day of running on the Sunday. Um, but obviously, that's at the discretion of the FIA and the other teams to obviously allow Haas to have the extra day of running. Um, although it's not an extra day because they may not be running on the the first day. Um, so obviously it's waiting to see this. So in that case, they may not be behind if they get that dispensation. Um, which it's not their fault. It's not like oh we're going to be late delivering the car. So I think it's I think the FAA are well um, in their rights to say yeah, Hash, you can have the extra day of running. Well, obviously all the teams are going to be there anyway. So it's not like um, they can accuse Hass of cheating or anything like that. So yeah, I I, I think. If they has can't make the Thursday, I think they they should allow has that extra day. Yeah, I don't I don't think that would be too unfair given the circumstances. It's not like they're going to be gaining much from it, and yeah. um, you know, for the benefit of the show, they really do need to have all ten, well, all twenty cars in this case on the grid running as smoothly and efficiently um, as they can. And, and so well, far, you just it imagine yeah. the result. They they if they do an extra day of um, Formula One testing and they have it on. Like presentations and like, oh yeah, Hass is uh, mixing up the fastest. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That that would certainly cause stir some heads, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, that's one way to pass, uh, get the uh, weight of the car down by bringing no parts, just four wheels, and just going around. It'd be like that video. I don't know if anyone saw when um someone said F1 cars in 2050, and there's literally just the driver floating in midair. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty much would be the only way to get a car out. And uh, I really hope for their sake that it's not going to be that way and that they can, uh, you know, get that sorted as soon as possible because we don't want to see anyone lagging behind. And, you know, we might joke and have a bit of banter about certain things, but we don't honestly believe it's going to impact them too much, hopefully. But we obviously want to see everybody, at the very least running with minimal interruption as much as possible because, you know, it's no fun when there's literally a six-car grid or, as we saw last year, with Lewis Hamilton sitting on the grid on his own at Hungary. I don't think I've seen anything funnier. Um, but anyway, look, I hope you enjoyed the episode, guys. Um, if you have, make sure to consider giving us a like on the episode if you're watching us on YouTube and possibly subscribing to the channel. And if you're following us on our favourite podcasting platform, please do consider subscribing and giving us a review if you can. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, where you can give us a review out of five stars, if you think we're worthy, please do consider giving us a five-star review. And also, please, if you could be so kind, leave us a written review as well. If you give us a five-star review and a written feedback, we will promise to read out uh, your feedback on a future episode whether it's good or bad but of course please do be kind of constructive if it's going to be uh something that's not very nice and i'm not going to take the time to read it on the episode i'm afraid so um i think that's all this stuff to say um probably just a quick announcement uh, we've recently joined up with a new network the sports social podcasting network which have a lot of great shows on their network and this isn't a plug or an ad by the way we're doing this obviously on our own accord for those of you wondering um but a lot of great podcasts from independent podcasters covering sporting podcasts all around the world including the likes of football tennis golf and formula one podcast as well a few wholesale names that you might remember on the independent circuit doing a good job on there as well so make sure to check that one out 
as well. In the meantime, guys, I hope you enjoyed the uh, test this weekend. I certainly cannot wait. And the F1 season is finally coming to us in 2022. There's not long to go now. But until then, please do stay safe wherever you are around the world, especially if you are in the Ukraine or affected by the crisis going on. We really, really hope that you are okay wherever you are involved in that. And until next time, we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. You're right. Podcast Network.